Welcome to the Sharpen Leadership Podcast with Pastor Ricky Temple. This podcast is designed to sharpen your leadership skills and improve the quality of your life at home, at work, and in ministry. Enjoy today's podcast with Pastor Ricky Temple. Hi, this is Pastor Ricky Temple. Glad you're with us today. Today we talk about the mountain of leadership, but today's topic really narrows us into the end because in this sermon, I talk about when our season closes. There are times when it's over. You have played the last game, hit the last ball, shot the last shot, the time clock's run out. How do you close out your leadership with style and grace? When our season closes, what should you do? Buckle up with me. Ride through this journey. It's going to help you learn how to not just start well, but to close well. Enjoy the song. 1 Samuel 26. I want to talk today about when a season closes. Say that with me, please. One of the great lessons of life is to learn how to operate within a season. Life is divided into seasons. There's a season when you will have a certain career path and you will feel good about that career path. Then there's a season when you won't. You'll change jobs. Ask your neighbors, you ever change, you ever change jobs? Come on. There are times in your life when you go to a school and you've been there for so many years and you're accustomed to everybody, you know your way around, and then you leave. Now you're out on your own, you're out in the job market, you got a job, you know, and then you leave. Life changes directions. Learning to deal with those changes is key. Having the right attitude towards the changes is key. In our story, Saul has come to a close of a season, but he hasn't faced it yet. David, <coughs> excuse me, is at a season that he doesn't understand. This man has been chasing him for years all around the countryside. Close calls. We told the story of how Saul was in the cave using the bathroom and happened to use the bathroom that David was hiding, the cave rather, that David was hiding in. And David's men said, hey, it's your chance to kill him. The Lord has delivered your enemy into your hand. The Bible said that Saul was, in the King James, covering his feet. Now, of course, when you use the bathroom, your clothes fall down over your feet, covering your feet. Not a good place to be caught. In a cave with a group of men who don't like you. Men you've been trying to kill. What would you do? Pray for Saul? Push him around a little bit. No, David tried. God's heart. The Bible says his heart convicted him. Can't treat the man of God just any kind of way. So he couldn't harm him. He let Saul go. Saul said all these great things. You're more righteous than I am. Oh, my son. Well, it happens again. Right after he gets free, he starts chasing David again. Don't you hate it when people do that? They're sorry, and then do the same thing all over again. Yeah. Chapter 26. Now, look at this. I want, I want to start at verse 7. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And there Saul lay sleeping within the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. David finds out that Saul is chasing him again, and so David finds out where Saul is hiding. 
David looks over to the camp and notices everybody's sleeping, including Abner, who is Saul's protector, his right hand, chief of security, head of the army. Verse 8, And Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please let me strike him at once with a spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. One throw, David, I kill him. God ain't smoked my heart, brother. <laughs> I can knock him out. I can take him out. Now, now, please watch this now. Verse 9, David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against who? And be guiltless. Who can stretch their hand out against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him. The Lord's going to take care of him, not me. Of this day, of his day shall come to die, or he shall go to battle and perish. Said God will take care of him. God. Say it again. Come and say, God will take care of him. Stop trying to take care of everything yourself. God says, I'll take care of him. Verse 11, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. Just take the spear by his head, take his jug of water, and we'll, we'll leave him right here, sleep. Some things are not for you to handle. Let me say that again. Some things are not for you to handle. Some things are not for you to handle. Some things are not for you to handle. I've learned that. A little notoriety, a little gossip. Can't handle it all. I can't confront every person who misunderstands me or misunderstands our church or lies on me or whatever. I mean, that's not, it's not for me to handle. God handles it. He always does. In time, it comes to light. You must learn to move on past what people say. You must learn that every time you get a chance to tell somebody off, it's not your right or assignment to tell them off. It's not always your right to correct a person, especially a leader. There's some people who feel they're called to churches and that's their assignment is to correct the guy that's leading. Get him a little straight. He's off a little bit. She's not quite there. I didn't hire you on that job to do that. That's not your assignment. Sometimes you just leave it in the hand of God. Haven't you noticed over time God always fixes things? <laughs> fixes people too. Time gets it right. Well, watch what happens here. Watch verse 12. David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away, and no man saw or knew it or awoke, for there, they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from who? God knocked them all out. Tylenol codeine. <laughs> David went to the other side, stood on the top of the hill, way off, a great distance between them. David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Hey, do you not answer, Abner? And Abner was his chief of security. Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see, where's the king's spear? And where's his jug of water that was by his head? 
And Saul knew David's voice and said, is that your voice, my son? <laughs> phony baloney. You need to know who the phonies are and make sure you keep distance between you and the phonies. This guy is a, a, an amazing character. If you want to know why did God say you can't remain king, here's another reason why. This, this is, do you know, do you know, this is the third time. Do you know this guy did it in chapter 24? I'm sorry, chapter 19, verse 6 through 7. He apologized to David after he first threw the spear at him. Jonathan confronts him and says, you shouldn't have done that. He repents. Then in chapter 24, he does it when he gets caught in the cave with no clothes on. He's in the bathroom. I guess you would apologize then. I'm really sorry. You know? no, I'm sorry. Anyway, you know, then <laughs> here you are in chapter 26. And he's apologizing again. I guess so. Phony, though. One thing I don't want you to be is a phony. I think sometimes it's hard to face the fact that you're dealing with people that aren't genuine. But David knew, and David stayed away from Saul. Smart move. Tell your neighbor, say, smart move. Smart move. Turn to chapter 27. Remember, we're near the end of Saul's life. David comes to a point now where he's almost at the end emotionally. When you go through things for a while, it can affect you. I've learned the power of pacing yourself because repeated pounding on your soul affects you. It, it, it has a way of, of um, overwhelming you. Because one day you wake up and you think, you know, it's okay yesterday to do laundry, clean house, clean up behind everybody, and then all of a sudden the day comes when it's not all right. You ever been there? You can go to work and they can, you know, cuss you out and have problems and you can go to school, it's cool, you know, all the work is fine. But then anybody know about when the day comes? And what happens when the day comes? What do you do? Don't say cuss. What else do you do? You snap. You snap. Somebody says snap. Grunting, complaining, moaning, feeling bad. Yes. Ask your neighbor, say, do you have a PhD in snapping? Come on, do you have a PhD in snapping? Now, some of you know the person next to you, and you say, yeah, they do. They got a good degree. They got at least a master's. David snaps. Watch what he does. This is interesting. David said in his heart, that's where it starts. Snapping is a heart problem. It starts in the heart. Verse 27, chapter 27, verse 1. David said in his heart, now I shall perish, not today, but someday by the hand of Saul. I'm going to die. I mean, I'm, I'm barely missing this death thing with this guy. He goes up one side, I go down the other side. We're right, we can smell each other. Isn't it rough to live your life like that? Some of you feel that way, don't you? The bills are on your heels, right? They are so close, you can feel them, can't you? It's like you can't, you can't miss them. He's tired. He's pacing the floor and he's going in his heart. No one's hearing him. So you never say it out loud because you don't want anybody to know the great woman of faith has snapped. You're thinking now. Tired of this marriage. Tired of this relationship. Tired of life. Tired of this. Ah, 
You get that look on your face. You know that panic, stress look. You know how you get. Come on, you, you're good at this. Come on, do better than that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Because some of you were walking before you came to church. Some of you came in here with that look on your face. All day worship, you're like this. Well, he snaps. And he starts to think the worst. He's going to die. Is that what you're going through right now? Thinking the worst. The worst. I'll be alone all my life. I'm not going to have enough money. I'm not going to make it through this. The worst. You know what I've learned about people who think like that? They never do anything great. Because all the devil has to do is hold up a sign and says, the worst is going to happen. <laughs> do you know how we know so much about birds and animals and snakes? Some man with a unique brain sits in a tree in the Amazon and watches them. That's how we know so much. You know how we understand the rainforest and how the oxygen works? And you understand, you understand how we know about hurricanes? Somebody flies into the hurricane several times so you can be safe. Somebody's going to have courage. What's happened to your heart? Devil knows. Take that. I've won. Take your faith. David says, I'm going to die. Is that where you are? We can't make it past this. Can't do this. Can't do that. Oh, man, I know that feeling. There are moments in my life around here I've said, why, why, why are you even trying to do this? Why? Why are you trying to do this? I say it all the time. I don't preach for identity's sake. I don't preach because I, I wouldn't be happy doing something else. I do it because of assignment. I could be very happy doing something else. The only thing I want to do is provide for my family. I can think of, I can think of two or three things I could love doing. But there's nothing I love doing more than pleasing God. And I love working for him. He's good. He's fair. It was a tough decision for me to be a preacher. One just for you. Now, I'm not saying God's calling you to preach. I'm just saying, you know, you can't define a sermon as a calling. You know what I'm saying? You kind of work your way around, see? But I remember the day I decided. I remember the day I decided. I remember the day I decided to be a pastor. In Charlotte, North Carolina. Assistant pastor in the church. But I said, what are you gonna do? What do you want to do? What's you? You want to evangelize, run around the country? Nah. I want people. I want some place where I can turn the pages. And so I started. A lot of you right now, the devil's taking your heart from you. He's attacked you, robbed you. You've lost your way. But God wants to restore you. Tell your neighbor, say, God wants to restore you. But to restore you, he's got to do a very interesting thing with the text. He's got to stop you from making decisions based on fear. David says, there's nothing better for me that I should speedily escape. Got to escape. Notice where he's got to escape to, the land of the Philistines. And Saul would despair of me to seek me anymore and part in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. I'm going to leave and go to the Philistines. 
So David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. God, I've heard that before. Hmm, haven't you heard that before? I think it's in chapter 17. I think, I, you know, it just comes back to me that we've been here before. Matter of fact, it kind of strikes me that we've been here more than one time. It, if, if you're looking with me, it's in chapter 17. And now all of a sudden, you start reading around here and you see this guy named Goliath was from God. Goliath. He comes out and he challenges everybody. Chapter 17, verse 4. Champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from God. My question, why would you go to the hometown of Goliath for help? And it's not the first time he went there. Chapter 21, verse 10. Do you remember he went there again, running from Saul? Chapter 21, verse 10. David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of who? God. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to him of him? Saul is slain his thousands, David is ten thousands. Verse 12, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid. Verse 13, so he changed his behavior before them and pretended madness in their hands, scratching on the doors of the gate and let his saliva spit fall down on his beard. So they let him go. Question, why are you going back? When you lose heart, you lose reason. When you lose heart, if you're not careful, you will lose your ability to make a right to choice because you're afraid. Since I'm going to go out to the Philistines, take my chances one more time. What's amazing is watch what happens. Verse 4, it's told they saw that David had gone, fled to God, so he sought him no more. <laughs> he wasn't going to fight the Philistines. Chicken. Verse 5. David said to Achish, if I have not found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. So now you have David who has gone to a place. And he is now in a place of protection and safety. He stays there for a long time. And he goes around and he pretends that he is on Achish's side. This will come back to haunt him. Chapter 28, turn there, chapter 28, verse 1. Comes back to haunt him. He goes there and he plays the role of a hypocrite. I'm sorry, chapter 27, verse 8. David and his men went up and raided the Gergerites, the Gergesites, the Amalekites, for those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of from old. As you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt, whenever David attacked by the land, he left neither man or woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah. He's lying. He's saying, I'm attacking my hometown. I'm attacking, I'm attacking Judah. 
or he would say against the southern area of, of the Jerothites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. All these were Jewish nations. Verse 11. David would say, save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to God, saying, let this, let they, uh, least they should inform on us, saying, thus David did, and thus was his behavior at all the, at all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Agis believed David. Look at verse 12. Agis did what? Believe David. Saying he has made his people, Israel, utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. So now, David has made himself an enemy of Israel because he's been attacking Judah, he's been attacking, you know, Israel, you know, Israeli cities, and so now they all hate him. He's lying. You lose heart, you start making allegiance with people you don't need in your life. You start buttering up to the wrong people, dating the wrong people, hanging out with the wrong people, looking for love in all the wrong places. And now, all of a sudden, now, he is convinced this guy, he is on his side. Chapter 28, verse 1. All lies come back. Tell your neighbors, all lies come back. Now, it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. Agus said to David, you surely know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. David, I want you to go with me. Uh-oh. Problem now. That's why I'm committed to the truth. I'm committed to the truth because I believe that it's better to tell the truth at some point. Whatever the lies have been, it's better to pause, stop, <laughs> get honest, and walk straight. It's better to stop somewhere. David's put himself in a bad position. Next week, we'll find out how it works out. But let me switch back to Saul for a moment. David is coming, he doesn't know it, to the end of a season. He is coming to an end of a season where God's going to deal with Saul. God is about to take care of Saul for David, but David doesn't know it. You don't always know when your season's about to end. You can't always tell, but seasons end. Do you hear me? Seasons end. Some of you say, oh, hallelujah, Lord, let this broke season end. Amen. Now, I'll, I'll give you a cute key, though. You have to align yourself with the Word of God. And the faster you align yourself with the Word of God, the faster many of those seasons can end. Some of those seasons that last a long time last because of things you do, attitudes you have, dispositions you have. See, Dad and I got to a point in our marriage where we had to decide, you know, we, had to, you know, we came to a season where we wasn't communicating too good. So we had to decide to work on that thing. Or that season could have lasted. She had to adjust. I had to adjust. Some of you are in a season that's supposed to be over by now. You're supposed to have money by now. You're supposed to be at peace by now. That's why some churches can't grow. See, you have to, you have to adjust. But David's at a season that's about to end. Saul is at a season that is his last season. He's approaching his last game. He's about to be retired to the grave. And he's panicking because God's presence is no longer with him. It's a bad season to be in. Watch what the Bible says. This is so amazing. <coughs> Look at the text. Mm, mm, mm. Don't want to be this man. Now Samuel had died. And all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. 
Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. All the voodoo people he kicked out. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunan. Shunan. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was what? Afraid. And his heart trembled greatly. What's interesting is, I wonder why he didn't fall down and repent. When you're afraid, you pray, right? If your heart's right. I want you to notice what he doesn't do. I want you to know, notice why this is his last season. Because he refuses to change. A lot of people are like that. They, they cry and they're afraid and they're nervous, but they refuse to change. See, crying and anger doesn't do anything. Get on your face Amen. before God. Don't cry over your marriage. Change. Don't cry over your money. Change. That's where the power is. Well, watch what happens. So he's nervous, shaking. He's scared. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not do what? <laughs> Either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. He's not repenting. He's just talking to God. God, so there's a difference. You know, repentance is, Lord, I've sinned. He never said that. You know, he said that to David and he was lying because he kept chasing him. He's one of those guys who prays, but he's only praying for his own benefit. He's not really concerned about the will of God. He's more concerned about getting out of trouble. God's not stupid. He's just pregnant. That's why you're praying. Missed your days. So you pray. Oh, Lord, could you please? Saul had a problem that a lot of people have. They like God as a convenient contact person to help them smooth and ride through their life. But they're not willing to change. That is the problem, by the way. They don't want to change. They don't want to change. Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who's a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, in fact, in fact there is a woman who is a medium and indoor. <coughs> If God won't answer me, I'll find somebody else. Then if God's not responding to me, I'll create my own thing. I'll make it happen. So what does he do? He goes and he disguised himself, verse 8, and put on these other clothes. And he went to and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, please conduct a, se a seance for me and bring, bring up for me the one I shall call, I shall name to you. And the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spirits from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? Now, Saul calls, Saul swore, nothing's going to happen to you as the Lord lives. No punishment shall come upon you for this thing. The woman said, well, whom shall I bring to you? He said, bring up Samuel. And the woman saw Samuel. Right then, Samuel appears. She cried with a loud voice. My, my opinion, she'd never seen this before. And she spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. Why did you, what did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of heaven, out of the earth, rather. And he said to her, What is this form? And he said, An old man coming up, and he, he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his, um, 
uh, face to the ground and bowed down. And Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer in me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I've called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Now, please understand, Saul, Samuel was the one guy who grieved over Saul's problems. God had to tell Samuel, get over Saul. He's no longer going to be king because Saul, but Samuel began to fast and pray. So now Saul, Samuel is dead. And the Bible describes, and I, I don't want to go through all the text, but the Bible describes that before Jesus came, Matthew 27, 51 describes that when he came, all the saints that were in the grave rose from the grave and walked, and walked through the streets of Jerusalem. Before Jesus came, they waited. They waited in a place called paradise. If you remember, it's called Abraham's bosom, place of rest. And so Samuel was there, and all of a sudden, this voice comes, and Samuel's now talking to Saul. And watch what happens. And Samuel said, verse 16, Why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. I told you this when I was living. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. <coughs> because, here's why, you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God, nor execute his fierce wrath upon the Amalekites. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. <laughs> the Lord will deliver also the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid and repentant and asked God to please forgive him. No! He never repented. He never attended. He sat there for a few days, wouldn't eat. She fed him and sent him on his way. People who are in this season are stubborn. Some of you, God has been talking to you a long, long time, and you still haven't repented. Just an observation, because some of you noticed all this talking here about psychic stuff. Caught your eye, I hope. Deuteronomy chapter 18 gives a reason why this was prohibited. I'm going to give you four, four or five reasons why, a couple of three reasons why God doesn't want you to call the psychic line. First of all, Pastor, what does the Bible say about it? Well, look at Deut Deuteronomy 18.10. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire or who practices witchcraft, or soothsayer, or who interprets omens or saucers, or who conjures spells. There's a place here you can go buy you some spell juice and you can get you some love potion. That's something to make somebody leave you alone, some dust to put on the ground. Or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord because of these abominations, the Lord God, your God, drives them out from before you. Now, I want you to listen to why I believe God is against this. First of all, people who do this in this generation generally do it for trivial, carnal reasons. Anybody that only wants your money as a prerequisite to give you a voice from God 
isn't sent by God. Come by, he said of me, meet without price in Isaiah. You, you don't need to pay for this. Jesus paid for you to have the right to hear from God. You don't need to pay anybody to hear from God. Come on, say amen. amen. Well, I got a question for you. What about the tithe and the offering in the church? Tithe don't belong to you. You ain't got that message yet? <laughs> Malachi 3 says it doesn't belong to you. You keep on, you're holding on to it, you're holding on to stolen money. It's not your money. I'm, I mean, hey, you can deal with that, you know, but that's, that, that, then the offering is the only thing you get, and that's up to you. But God promises you a great deal. He says, give and I will give back to you. How about an amen to that, huh? Amen. So God's not trying to take anything from you. He's trying to bless you. He understands that's how you get blessed. Given it shall be what? Given. Well, God's not into naming who you slept with. Why would God tell somebody to tell you that? <laughs> you are dating your husband's best friend. How did you know that? <laughs> this is a spiritual moment here. You are going to run into somebody, a love, love relationship. You, matter of fact, you already know who I'm talking about. How did you know that? <laughs> I keep telling you, it's edited television. All the people that get wrong, they don't air. <laughs> And you're sitting there going, oh, my God, how can they? <laughs> See, some of you are really too open to this kind of stuff. Reading the horoscope every morning. I'm a Gemini. <laughs> he a Taurus. I got to see what. I know this ain't the word, but I just like to know what. <laughs> some of you check it every morning. I don't believe in it. I just like to see it. I never forget. They start asking me my sign. I said, I'm after the star of David. <laughs> That's my answer. I'm after the star of David. Number two, it's trivial junk most of the time. Mind games, guessing games. Secondly, it always costs something. If you love me, give it to me. Number three, you never mentioned the blood of Jesus Christ. You never mentioned salvation. You never talk about evangelism. You never talk about, you know, can, I, can I understand, how could this be God and you're not concerned about the souls of men? You only want to tell me who I slept with? And then never tell me to repent? Laugh along with me? You know what it is? Self-seeking. They're glory seekers. They're greedy glory seekers. And if you ever call them, Look at your phone bill, you'll know it's true. <laughs> you think you're calling over to Texas and you end up calling overseas. They reroute your phone lines and charge you 10, 15, 20, 30 dollars a minute. It's ridiculous. Many people have called to the phone company in panic about the size of their phone bill. You need to get over that. You need to understand that that's that's not what the power is. Satan pretends. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Turn there if you would, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
2 Corinthians chapter 11. What a man does in the end of his season. He's in trouble now, so what does he do? He's messing up. 2 Corinthians 11, 13. There's a point I want you to see here. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming, are you with me, 2 Corinthians 11, 13? Transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. No wonder. Satan himself transformed himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing that if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Point is, the devil can pretend to be good. He can fool you, trick you, have you all tied up and all wrapped around. It's not God's will. It's not God's will. These are not voices from God. These are greedy people who want to make money, who do not care. Just because they can sing and had a great voice, they still went astray somewhere along the line. Here's what the Bible says, Isaiah 55 and 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you shall have no money. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come and buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Let your soul be delighted. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Here and your soul shall live. Verse 1, Isaiah 55. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no what? Money. Something wrong with supporting ministry? Is that what I'm saying? That's not ministry. I, I worry about us all the time when I see what the church is sliding into. You know, as they're preachers now who do the psychic stuff. <laughs> Dial up a prophecy. $500 prophecy, $1,000 prophecy. And they'll give you a word. You got to really understand. This is how the devil tricks people. Would you listen to me? Look at me for a minute. When, if you're not careful, you will miss an opportunity to turn your life around. Saul was in the last season, but he could have turned the game around. All he had to do was repent. Throughout the story you've seen, that was the key element. What is it that you need to repent of? What is it that Jesus is talking to you about? It's time for you to say, it looks bad, but it doesn't have to end. He turned to witches and he turned to mediums. Who are you turning to? turning to the wrong people. Thanks for listening to the Sharpen Leadership Podcast with Pastor Ricky Temple. For more great resources by Pastor Rick, visit him on the web at rickytemple.com.